There are going to be battles, but the war is already decided. And so we're worried about things that we don't need to worry about. We're focused on things that we don't need to focus our life on. Can I tell you, God's entrusted to you the biggest armament that you can imagine. All you got to do is release what's inside of you. And if you begin to release what's inside of you, you have power over the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Did you know that we've been given weapons to pull down strongholds in our lives? In fact, we're able to do much more than just pull those strongholds down. We're able to destroy the things that come against us in battle. In spiritual warfare, nothing can stand against our God or His people. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason continues his series on spiritual warfare. I want to continue down this course of spiritual warfare. I think it's important, extremely important, especially in the time that we're living, especially with the fact that, that the church is under attack. And so we want to grab hold of this idea that we are the victors and not the victims of what's taking place. And so under this spiritual warfare today, I, I put winning the battles. Winning the battles. And the reason I put it called it winning the battles is because how many of you know the war's already been won? In John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I want you to know, when Jesus died on that cross and was resurrected on the third day, not only was it finished, but the enemy was finished. Judgment had been pronounced over him. You know, we, we, get, we get caught in this trap of talking about Satan's going to rule in hell. Satan is not going to rule anywhere, boys and girls. Satan will burn in the depths, the deepest depths of hell for all of eternity. He won't be in control of his fate or anybody else's fate. That's a lie that they want to try to put across to you that there's going to be a party in hell. There's not a party in hell. There's not a party for Satan. Satan, is not, Satan doesn't care whether you go to hell or not. His fate has already been sealed. He knows. Why? Because he's heard the book and the book says that he will be put away forever and ever and ever he has no hope. He has no chance. He is defeated. Quit perpetrating the lie that Satan's in charge of anything in hell. He is not in charge of anything. And so he was finished at that point in time. In Hebrews 2.14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Colossians 2.13 And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Say, thank you, Jesus. Look what he says, though. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What did God do with it? He nailed it to the cross. You ever wonder where your sin is? It's on the cross. It was nailed to the cross. He disarmed. Say that word, disarmed. The rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
All right, so let, let's put this thing the way it is. There are going to be battles, but the war is already decided. And so we're worried about things that we don't need to worry about. We're focused on things that we don't need to focus our life on. And, and the, 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 so we understand that the victory's there. But we still have battles on a daily basis, don't we? And when these battles come, sometimes we do well, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want to kick the cat, don't we? Or cuss the can. Or do something just to get it out of our system. We have these battles. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, 14, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It says that we have weapons to destroy the things that come against us in battle. We have something more powerful than the atomic bomb. We have unlimited, unprecedented power living inside of us. But we choose to be dependent on the flesh rather than on the spirit. And so rather than carrying out the, the bringing out the big guns, we use a pea shooter. Any of y'all ever seen men in black? Have you ever seen men in some of you are acting like you're too holy to have watched that. Let me ask that again. Anybody here ever seen Men in Black? Okay. And Men in Black, if you remember, when, when they turned uh, Will Smith loose, the first thing they gave him was a little bitty gun. Now, now, the other guy had a huge gun. They couldn't trust him with anything but a little bitty one. Can I tell you, God's entrusted to you the biggest armament that you can imagine. All you got to do is release what's inside of you and if you begin to release what's inside of you, you have power over the enemy. He will make an open show of him once again through you because he has already been defeated. Let me just remind you of a few of the strongholds that happen. I'm not going to go through these because we did spend a lot of time on those. But let me just remind you. You know, it says, I'm not worthy. I'm alone. Nothing I do matters anyway. Come on, have anybody ever had a pity partner and gone through that stuff? Amen. I know you have. I have too. If that ain't enough, I'm a victim of my circumstances. My lack of education. My parents were horrible. I made so many mistakes. If you were married to the man or woman I was married to, God couldn't use you either. Nobody understands me. Pity party. Turn to your neighbor and say, pity party. Flesh loves a pity party. I live in turmoil and fear. I've lost hope. Strongholds. We, we, most of us have experienced many of those, if not all of them. And the problem is not experiencing. The problem is that sometimes we take ownership of those positions in our life. And when we take ownership of that position in our life, then we empower our enemy to have, to have victory over us when God has clearly said that through Jesus Christ, He does not have victory over any of us. Am I making sense to you? Okay, so we need to understand that. 
And, and then we go on, and those are strongholds. But then it says in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He said, we are fighting wicked rulers. We are fighting demonic presence. We are fighting the heavenly authorities. Let, let me give you one example. Sometimes we don't think about principalities. But when you go back and you study the government of this nation, we were built on the Greek system of authority. Okay? If you go back and study it, many of our uh, places of government are even designed after Greek stuff. And so because it's Greek, anybody know what goes along with the Greek culture? Sensuality goes along with the Greek culture. Decadence goes along with the Greek culture. And so the principality that has great rule over this nation is, a, is in the form of the Greek god of sensuality. Better known in Egypt as Baal, but we won't go there. Now let me tell you what our saving grace is. That our forefathers came not with the idea of having a Greek government. They came with the idea of God's rule and God's rule alone. And so what they brought into this nation were the blessings of God. And we have operated under the blessings of God because of our forefathers. We have operated under the blessings of God because we've been a friend to Israel. We've operated under the blessings of God because the church has taken a stand and said this is who we are. We cannot stop now. The voice of the enemy is roaring and the voice of the church is giving consent. Eddie, what do you mean the voice of the church is giving consent? We're trying to be like the world. We want to look like the world. We want to act like the world. We want to dress like the world. We want to behave like the world. We want to justify everything that we do because we don't want to be ostracized by the world. We don't, want to be, we don't want people to look at us like we're funny. We were not called to fit in. We were called to be a, a thorn in the flesh of the world. We are an irritant. The trouble is we haven't irritated anybody lately. We allow them to tell us what thugs we are, and sometimes we believe it. We operate seminaries where there's no God and we send our children off to godless universities and expect them to come home knowing who God is. I just read an article about a seminary in New York, Union something. I wish I could remember the whole name of it, Union Temple or something seminary. And the president of the university, the president of the seminary made this statement. I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe in the virgin birth. I don't believe in the crucifixion. And this is a president of a seminary in the United States of America. Anybody ever heard of Candler Theological Seminary? Candler's right there near Emory. Fine Methodist School of Theology have not taught on the Holy Spirit in over 50 years. A third of the Trinity, 
the part of the Trinity that's dwelling on the earth and our seminaries are not even acknowledging who He is. Am I making any sense to you today? I want you to understand this is what the battle is against. We need to know that we have rulers. We have people in authority over our churches, over our denominations, over what calls itself holy. And they are nothing but godless men and women who are false prophets standing in a place of authority and dictating to our children what is and is not true. I would dare say that over half our government doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ. They know His name and they know how to use it for political gain and that's about the extent of what they're able to do with Jesus. Rulers. If you go globally, the rulers around the globe, they don't care not one bit about who Jesus Christ is. So you got principalities that are ruling, you got rulers, and then you got demons. And then you got God. And this is what God says. If you just won't give up, He said, I'll soon put Satan under your foot and you can crush him like he's a bug. We were cleaning out the swimming pool yesterday and it was hilarious. Between Herman and Levi, there's probably 500 pounds of men in the bottom of that pool. They've got a brush, they've got a bucket. They got a vacuum cleaner and they got a pressure washer. And there was a spider came out about the size of my thumb. I couldn't even pull either one of them up out of that hole and they both acted like they were walking on water, getting away from me. Levi said, there's a snake in there. I said, boy, you crazy. He was right. There was a snake about that long. Levi, six foot. 180 pounds, snake, 12 inches, 3 ounces. <laughs> Satan, principalities, rulers of darkness, they nothing but spiders and little snakes. Our God crushed them like a bug. And unlike Herman and Levi, God doesn't run. What I'm trying to tell us is that, you know, we need to understand who we are. We need to understand the power that we walk in. We can't fight, we cannot fight darkness with our fleshly thoughts. The, the, the stuff that Dr. Phil gives you on television is not going to help you. The stuff that you see on the television shows, it's not going to help you. That's not real life. Can I tell you this? Sue said, I wonder why that happened. We watching the show, she said, I wonder why that happened. You know my answer? Because that's the way the writer wrote it. That stuff is scripted out. In case y'all didn't know, it's not real. I had pastors used to tell me they would get, they would get names of people they wouldn't know who they were and they were on these older people's soap operas. And they were praying for them because they were in so much trouble on these soap operas. How many of y'all like all the, the, what is it, DC Comics or Marvel? Who's it that's out right now? How many of y'all like all of those hero things? You know why that is? Because there's something in us that craves for a hero. There's something inside of us that wants to see the enemy defeated. There's something inside of us that wants to see good triumph and evil be defeated. The problem is we're not going to find it in a cartoon character. We're going to find it in Jesus Christ, the Lord our God. Amen? Listen, 
He is is stronger and greater than any of that other. Now, I'm not coming against that for entertainment value, but understand that's entertainment. Reality is Jesus Christ has overcome death, hell, and the grave, and the Spirit of the living God abides inside of you. Amen? We don't want it. We don't want it. We're going to win every battle that we face if we'll quit relying on our flesh and quit looking for some superhero that's outside of God to come take care of us. The banker wants to tell you they're your friend. Well, if they're my friend, why do they charge me so much interest? Your credit card, people say, I love you. No, they don't love me. They love that 18.9% interest that they get. The payday loan people, I help out the poor. They ain't helping out the poor. They charge them 800% interest. But we'll turn to every one of those before we turn to Jesus. Eddie, how you know that? I ain't never met a credit card I didn't like. Look what Ephesians 6.10 says. Finally, turn to your neighbor and say, finally, be strong. Say it again. Be strong. How? In the Lord and the strength of His might. Ooh, he tells us to be strong. Be strong. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't, don't, don't stop. I was telling Sue the other night, I said, I am so mad at myself. I have been dieting. I have been doing good. I have stayed on it. And the first thing that happens is my grandchildren come, and with my grandchildren come the Oreos, the peanut butter bars, the other stuff, and I can't even go to sleep that night. I'm having, I'm having cravings like you can't believe. I did real good. I didn't eat but one tube of Oreos and a half a bag of potato chips. Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is I get there and I go, God, God, I can't do it. And the Lord said, be strong. Don't quit. You fell down. Get your butt up and go again. Well, I gave in. I used the credit card. Pay it off, burn it up, and go again. Okay? I messed up. I cussed out the next door neighbor. Ooh, maybe you ought to go apologize. Then get up and go again. Amen? I lost it at work the other day. I went through the drive-thru, and it took them forever. I got a solution for that, folks. I pull in, I go in there to McDonald's, Mickey D's, and I wait, and I watch my watch. And at four and a half minutes, if the line hadn't moved, I don't get mad. I just leave. They ain't got nothing in that building. I'll wait five minutes for. I'm just telling you. I don't have to lose that battle. How do we win? How do we win the battle? All of us know this stuff I've just told you. That's nothing, no new revelation in anything I've said. Every one of us know it, don't we? Turn to your neighbor and say, I know that. It's interesting, the song choice today. It's also interesting the fact that in that... uh, Warrior Fest was Rick Pino. I bet I hadn't heard Rick Pino's name in two years. And this week I started playing a song by Rick Pino. And in this song, he sings and he makes this statement. Raise up an army of laid down lovers. He just starts singing that, raise up an army of laid down lovers. 
Raise up an army of laid down lovers. Raise up an army of laid down lovers. Raise up an army of laid down lovers. And I'm going to tell you what, that's the way we overcome the battle. Until you can lay it down, you can't overcome. You will trip and fall every time. Jesus declares that to win, we must become His disciples. Now, there's a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. Herman taught you some on that. We're going to teach again on that this Wednesday night. But there's a major difference in being a believer and a disciple. I believe there are a lot of believers. I believe there are a lot of people that are going to go to heaven. And I believe there are a lot of people that are going to be frustrated all the way through this life. And they can't understand why God doesn't do something. As a matter of fact, they ask the question, God, why would you let something happen like happened in Sri Lanka? Why would you allow all these Christians that are praying, all these Christians that are there, and all these children, why would you allow that to happen? You hadn't read the book. The book says that the blood of the martyrs cries out before the throne of God day and night. And he tells the martyrs, he said, just hold your horses, boys, because the number of martyrs has not yet been fulfilled. You just worship me until that number is fulfilled. Well, how are there going to be martyrs if Christians aren't being killed? Do we have any volunteers? It's horrible. It's painful. It hurts. And I told you I'm angry about the whole thing. But to understand that God is not in what's going on and He's bringing things to a close, our God knows what the enemy is doing. And He is going to fulfill His Word to the very nth degree. And so, but the only people that will be able to stay is disciples. The people that have disciplined themselves to do what the Spirit says, not what the flesh demands. You see, the Bible says in the last days there will be a great falling away. It calls it an apostasy. And the other part of it says that they will be so mad at God. Who's going to be mad at God? People that are in the church, not disciples of Jesus. People that are in the church are going to be so mad at God, they're going to shake their fist and say, God, how could you? How could you? Why? Because they're not laid down lovers. See, a laid down lover realizes that his thoughts are not your thoughts, that his ways are not your ways. He knows that he can trust God no matter what. Even if he can't understand it in his own heart and his own spirit, he knows beyond all things that God is God is God. And that he's going to bring all things around. He believes in his heart that Romans 8, 28 is true, that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. He understands and he believes that there is no other way than God. And he's willing to lay down his life to follow after him. That's what a laid down lover is. In Revelation 12, 11, which is what the song is written about, it says, and they have conquered, they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their own lives, even under death. Well, if I can overcome the enemy, see, what we want to do is we want to see this gigantic battle taking place. And then I'm going to come up to this gigantic battle and I'm going to kill that battle because I'm going to give the word of my testimony. And like, no, you're not. You're going to run like a scared little rabbit. How you know that? Because David was one of the greatest warriors that ever lived. 
And if he'd have faced Goliath before he faced the lion and the bear, chances are about 100% he couldn't have stood up to Goliath. But you see, he had already practiced what, what he was going to do. He'd already killed the lion, and he'd already killed the bear. He had already taken care of the little things. He'd already chased out the sheep and made sure that the little foxes weren't taken care of. He had already seen God's hand deliver him in the little things. Why do we want to wait for the big thing? Why don't we let God deliver us in the little things? Why don't we overcome the battles? Any of you ever have any anger problems? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to get you in trouble. Man, if we get this anger going and we just fly off at the mouth and we just let, we just go and Satan's going, I got him confessing my truth. I mean, my lie. We start yelling things at our children. One of the things I used to yell at David all the time was, you couldn't find anything. You couldn't find your head if it wasn't tacked on. You can't find anything. Satan's using me to beat the snot out of my own kid. God told you to discipline him. He didn't tell you to get angry and scream at him. The 17th phone robo. And people will start cussing out a machine. You know what the Bible says? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why, why don't we start with that battle? Let's win that battle. Let's win the battle over our mouth. How about let's, let's just win that battle? What do you think? Why, we don't want to wait till Satan is sitting there fixing to crucify us, fixing to throw us in prison, beat us half to death. Why don't we win that battle to start off with? Why don't we, why don't we take ourselves against that one? Any of y'all ever get upset with the, with the uh, waitresses or the waiters at the, at the restaurant? Or, or maybe you get upset with the people that are at the uh, uh, drug store or the grocery store? Why? Well, they're incompetent. They ain't making but $9 an hour. You ought to be thankful they're taking care of you at all. Instead of cussing them out, maybe you ought to reach in your pocket and give them an extra $10. Say, thank you. Herman and Josh taught me how to call Walmart and order my groceries. Slickest thing. And if y'all all tell them I sent, I sent you, I get $10 a piece for every one of you. But anyway, I, I have, uh, I call Walmart on Friday, or I text them, whatever you do, actually, I go on the app, I fill it out. I don't know the technical stuff. If you want groceries, call me, I'll get you groceries. I go on the app, I fill that stuff out, I tell them what time I want to pick it up. I go flying up to Walmart, I back in, I let them know I'm there. And five, six minutes, maybe seven minutes goes by, and a lady comes out, and she starts putting my groceries in the back of my trunk. It's cool. It's cool. Now, I started giving them $4 a shot. It takes them less than five minutes to get my groceries outside. Now, I don't know who's picking them up, but I give them $4 a shot. Do you know the last four times I've been to Walmart, same girls waited on me? She sees my name pop up on the kiosk and she's going to run out there and take care of me. Why? Because she knows there's $4 coming. 
And if she's a little bit late, she's not going to be fussed at. And if there has to be an exchange, I'll either tell her I like it or don't like it, but I'm not going to get mad at her. I've blessed her. I've prayed with her. I've talked with her. She will beat the doors down to come take care of me. How about you? I can tell you this. You go in there and just pop off at them, and chances are pretty good. They're going to look at somebody and say, well, you go take care of them. They are just jerks. Maybe we need to win a few battles within our own, within our own presence. We've called to me win the battle. Let me, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. I'm enjoying what I'm talking about. Let me tell you how to do that. In Matthew, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How many of you think you can deny yourself? I don't do too good at denying myself. Uh, some of y'all act like y'all can deny yourself anything you want. Mm. Anyway, and so something's got to happen. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I've got to learn how to deny myself. Now, I'm going to tell you that again. I've got to learn how. So you think you can come into this world, be born again, and automatically be a disciple of Christ. It took Jesus three years to train his disciples, and still he had one of them revolt. Three years training. Constant supervision. Constantly there. And so we just think, man, I'm going to start doing this. Well, let me tell you where this transformation takes place. It comes at the least attended part of what we're doing in our, in our scriptural and our spiritual lives. This takes place at the altar of God. On our knees. Don't tell me how many times you've read the Bible. Don't tell me how many Sunday school classes you've taught. Don't tell me how many people have gotten healed when you laid hands on them. What I want to know is how much time do you spend at the altar in the presence of God? I've got a son in California that I love with all my heart. I don't have a relationship with that boy. I can tell you I love God with all my heart. I can tell you I love Jesus with all my heart. But if I don't spend any time with him, I don't have a relationship. I've got an insurance policy. You want to know what your weapons are? The first weapon you got is worship. The second weapon you got is prayer. And we're using peace shooters. Because when you pray, you've got to know the Word of God or you're going to be praying outside the will of God. Let me go on. So we're out of relationship. Relationship is built on our knees in the presence of God. The second thing we have to do is we have to ask the Holy Spirit to kill ourselves. Do you know it's impossible for a man to crucify himself? You might get both feet and one hand. But when it comes to the next one, you got a problem and Velcro just won't do. The Bible says I was crucified with Christ. Yeah, but I resurrected that flesh man. How do you know that? Because the Apostle Paul said, reckon yourselves. What does the word reckon mean? He says, take account of, understand that you're dead to that new man, to that old man. But if you, there's no reckoning going on, and reckoning takes place at the altar, and it's the Holy Spirit bringing us into that point where He's showing us what's not dead inside of us. I want you to know this is what it's going to require. You want to change, you want to change what's on the earth? 
What we really want is we really want a little revival to break out where we can be all be happy and dancing. And we can just lay hands on people and they'll fall out in the floor. And none of our life is really affected except we have to go to church a little more because we're happy. You got to die to self. You got to build a relationship. The things in your life, they have to change from temporal to, to, to eternal. We're so worried about the temporal things. Man, we can't hardly stand it. The temporal things. The temporal things. Man, if I don't get my grass cut today, God knows if I don't get my grass cut today, what's going to happen if you don't get your grass cut today? Well, my homeowners association might come after me. So they write you a letter. Do you feel that same way about being in the presence of Jesus? You see, it's in prayer where things that are eternal become more important than things that are temporary. It's in prayer that things that are impossible become possible. You can't just change your mind. I hear people all the time saying, I know it's going to change. I know it's going to change. No, you don't. You're putting on a brave front. You know how I know it? Because you hadn't spent the time in prayer and heard the Father say, I got this. Well, Eddie, how do you know that? Because I know how many times the Holy Spirit had to tell me he had David before I believed him. When he first started talking to me, he said, I got David. I love him more than you do. And I looked at God flat in the eye and I said, no, you don't. We hadn't even spent enough time to hear the God of all creation say, I got it. I got it. I can't tell you hundreds of times fear would begin to rise up inside of me and the Holy Spirit say, son, I got him. And fear would begin to subside. Fear would begin to rise up and the Holy Spirit would say, son, I got him. You know what I believe with all my heart, all my mind, and all my spirit? God's got him. You know why? Because God's told me that. The Holy Spirit has revealed it to me over and over and over and over and over and over again. You see, when all things are possible, hope begins to be restored. It's during these times of intimacy that we begin to exchange our old identity for our new identity. It's during this time that we hear what the Spirit is saying that our confidence in the fact that we are the sons of God begin to grow. I have people, I lay hands on people all the time, and I'll say, man of God. And they'll look at me and say, I'm not a man of God. You know what I'm going to do next time? I'm going to lay hands on and say, man of the devil. I bet that ought to get their attention. You're either a son of the earth and a son of the devil, or you're a son of God. You can't be either, you can't be just both. So when somebody calls you a son of God, the reason you don't believe it is because you haven't heard Jesus tell you that yet. You begin to get a new identity and you begin to understand that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God and the enemy can't steal it from you. So that every time you fall down, you don't think, oh God, I've lost my identity. I've lost my identity. Anybody ever have dreams about losing your wallet? You don't have to raise your hand. Can I tell you, just give you a little insight? Losing of your wallet is my majority of times the fear of losing identity. How can you lose it? God's not going to let go of it. He's not going to forget your name, your calling, or your destiny. It can't be lost. Now, you can sell it, but it can't be lost. But you might want to talk to Esau before you get ready to sell it. Okay? If you don't know who Esau is, the Scripture said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Discipleship is birthed at the altar. 
It builds relationship. It creates death of self. It changes the motivation from the temporal to the eternal. It moves your heart from the impossible to the possible. It takes the hopelessness and restores hope. It does it during these times that we begin to understand our identity. It's our confidence in God begins to grow. Then our, our knowledge of the victory comes. So that when Goliath rears his, his evil head, you can look at him and say, before the sun sets, I'm going to take your sword, your words, and I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to deliver you into the hands of my God. I want to tell you what to do at the altar. Two things. Pray a lot in tongues. The Bible says He gave us that to help us because most of the time we don't know what we ought to be praying for anyway. If you don't have tongues, get with somebody until they get it released. You can do it. And the second thing is make sure you spend as much time listening as you do talking. Most of our prayer life is a one-way conversation. We don't hear what God is saying because we're too busy talking ourselves. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you're loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.